Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So, uh, a number of years ago, I was chatting with uh, one of the, the girls here at church. And uh, she'd been with us at CCM for four or five years, had kind of joined us as a fresher and had a job with us, or like, as in she'd got a job and stayed in Manchester, and she moved away again about four or five years ago. But we were, we were having a chat, and um, we always got on really well. She really loved heavy metal. I quite like heavy metal, so it was easy, always an easy conversation. She'd tell me about obscure bands, and I would tell her about very old bands, and she would laugh at me. Uh, it was a good conversation. But she was ch- chatting away this particular time about some of her friends, and she said, like, I've got good friends at church. And she did. She was well-liked. She fitted in well. She was a good person. And people got on well with her and were just talking about her different friends. And then she went, but the thing is, Tim, when they get boyfriends, I don't see them anymore. And I remembered that. I remembered it years later. really struck me because it was absolutely true. And she could point to numbers of times. Oh, I was good friends with her and she got boyfriend. I haven't really seen much of her since then. Uh, and it wasn't just her actually. It was an experience that I'm sure many of us have had. And I was reflecting back to that uh, when I was a similar age to her not that long ago. Um, But I was thinking, actually, you know what? I think that happened to me as well. I remember having some really good mates and then suddenly they got girlfriends and I didn't really see them anymore. And then I thought, oh, you know what? There was a point I had some good mates and then I got a girlfriend who became my wife and I didn't see them very much. I was the ditcher and the ditchy in those, those situations. And I think, as I was thinking about that, thinking, actually, we perhaps really underestimate the importance of friendship. And perhaps in church, we can be a bit guilty of that as well. But friends perform a particular role in our lives, don't they? That actually families, even husband and wife and work colleagues, they cannot fulfill the role of a friend. And actually, good friends, I think, are vital for life. They're vital for our faith as well, having good friends, and vital for kind of encouraging us forwards. So we're doing a series at the moment called 10 Rules for Life, and this evening we're going to look at one of these rules, which is to make great friendships. And we're going to consider two friends from the Bible, two guys called Jonathan and David, and we're going to look at their friendship. And they offer a really fascinating insight into what it is to be friends. And so we're going to read how they met, and that should appear up behind me, but if you um, prefer, then go to your Bibles, 1 Samuel 18. We'll just look at the first five verses as to how these two guys met, how they became friends, and what we can learn from that about making great friendships. So let's read. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So Saul took David, wouldn't let him return to his dad's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David and his armour, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of all of Saul's servants. 
So to give us a bit of understanding as to what happened here, David has burst onto the scene. So quietly, Samuel has anointed David to be the true king of Israel. At this moment, Saul is the king, but Saul is not doing great. He is um, disobeying God. He's disobeying Samuel. He's uh, proving himself to not be a very good king. Uh, And so Saul is unaware that David has been anointed, but he has been. God told Samuel, this is the guy, anoint him. He is the future king of Israel. And also, David has just killed Goliath in full view of Israel's army, of Saul and of Jonathan. That's quite a big statement, isn't it? It's come on the scene. And as well, he had become kind of a friend of Saul, of the king. And he became his friend because Saul was having these horrible moments where it's described as like an evil spirit being on him. So he was highly stressed having really horrible episodes where he felt oppressed and like evil was coming at him. And the only thing that could bring him any relief was David playing the lyre. Now, I think a lyre is like a guitar, but old. So, and, and David would play that and that would relieve Saul's stress. So basically, David is the new kid on the block. He is brilliant at war. He killed a giant with a stone, okay? Brilliant at war, Also a brilliant musician as well. And God is obviously at work on him. So this is this character, David, who has appeared in this moment. And then you've got this guy, Jonathan, who is the son of Saul. So Jonathan is the son of the king, okay? Important position in the world. And we know a few things about Jonathan as well before we get to this moment. We know that he was very brave. So there was one point the Israelite army um, were being kind of overrun by the Philistines. They were all hiding in holes in the ground. It was not good. Philistines had the high ground on the hill. There were arrows coming down on the Israelites. It was not a good situation. Jonathan turns to the guy who's holding his shield and says, look, we're going to charge up this hill. We're going to see what God will do. And so they bravely just charge up the hill. Uh, They manage to uh, make the Philistines panic. And then God moves and says the ground shakes. And the Israelite army are like, oh, brilliant. We can can attack. And then they beat the Philistines. Jonathan is a very brave guy. Uh, Also, he has some ability to stand up to his father as well. His dad, obviously, is the king, the most important person in the land. uh, But he's not particularly well balanced. So at one point, uh, his father says, okay, the whole army needs to be fasting. It's what they need to do now. And Jonathan points out, well, fasting makes you hungry, obviously. uh, And we're having to march quite a long way, carrying a lot of gear. um, So that's not good for us. So Jonathan decides he's going to eat some honey. And he says, surprise, I've eaten honey. I feel better. Why don't we eat? And so some of the army do as well. So he disobeys his dad. He stands up to his dad, who's been a bit of a bully. So Jonathan has some leadership gift as well. And I think God is clearly and obviously working in him. Then the other character in this situation is Saul. And like we've said, Saul is a very insecure person. If you were to read through these stories, you would see that this is a man who is well out of his depth. Jonathan, his son, just seems more confident, more assured, more keen to trust God than he does. And it's easy to see, actually, why Jonathan and David clicked. They obviously had a few things in common. There's reason that they kind of uh, were kind of drawn together to be friends. And as we read this story, we see that Jonathan actually is the initiator. He makes the friendship happen. 
Uh, possibly because he is the senior of the two. He's more, most likely to be a bit older than David, just as the way the story kind of plays out. It looks like he's a slightly older, but he's definitely the senior of the two in terms of the power in the land. He is the son of the king. David is a guy who was a shepherd in the field who's been brought in. So Jonathan is the senior of the two and initiates this friendship and actually behaves in quite a protective way towards David, which we'll see as this story kind of evolves. So we, this evening, we're going to take five lessons on how to make great friends from Jonathan and David. Okay, and the first lesson from this is that we initiate. And Jonathan knew he could see there was something unusual about David. He could see it. Perhaps he, uh, under, he had a sense that God was on him, that God had anointed him in some way. Perhaps he just, when he was with David, he just thought, this, God is on you. There's something very unusual here. Perhaps he had been very impressed with the fact that David just killed the giant, which is quite impressive. Perhaps that was uh, what had really caught his eye. Perhaps it was the fact that his dad, who was very temperamental, very high emotion, lots of drama with Saul, the only person that could calm him down was David, playing the liar. Whatever it was, Jonathan saw something here and thought, I want to be friends with this guy, and initiated the friendship. And actually, initiating relationship is really, really important. Now, I don't know how you found uh, last winter, but the lockdown was quite tough on lots of us, wasn't it? Especially in Manchester, where winter lockdown started at the beginning of August. If you remember, that's how it was. And uh, now I live in um, my house with my family, uh, who I love. We laugh together. We have fun together. So we were able to be together in lockdown. And so uh, we weren't on our own, as some people were. Um, But I still found lockdown difficult. I still found it quite isolating. And to a point, I felt like it was quite a lonely experience. I'm sure many, many people felt that in different ways. So I remember one day I thought, you know what, I've just, I've got to initiate. Otherwise, I'm just going to go out of my mind. I need to initiate. Even though it's only Zoom calls, I need to actually make a step. So I contacted some friends who were just close friends, old friends. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to make some new friends. That's what I'm going to do. So I had a few people in my head. I thought, you're really interesting. I think I could learn some stuff off you. So I initiated contact with them uh, so that we could do some Zooms. We could get to know each other. And when I messaged them, I said, look, man, I've got no agenda at all. I don't want anything off you. I just want to be your friends. Now, I'm a bloke in my 40s. That's relatively unusual. But every time they were like, yeah, that's great. Let's, let's talk. And so we did. And I knew, actually, that I was going to be the only one who initiated that because I just know what people my age are like. Uh, And I decided, you know what, I'm going to be completely happy with the fact that I'll initiate first contact, and then after that, if the relationship's going to keep going, it's going to be because of me. And I'm quite happy with that. I made peace with that. Actually, when we... Um, when we first moved to Manchester, me and Vicky decided, actually, no, it was when we first got married, we decided we were going to invite people around our house. We were always going to do it. We'd never get annoyed if they never invited us back. That was that kind of became a rule of marriage. Uh, Vicky's brilliant at that. I'm more grumpy, but she reminds me, Tim, this is what we do. We invite people around. We're not worried about the invitation. It's important to do to initiate friendship. And it's quite easy, actually, to get into that cycle of blaming a bit, isn't it? Say, well, I've taken a step. They need to take a step now. And if they don't, it's their fault, and I'm going to blame them. To kind of do that second-guessing thing in your mind. And perhaps you do it sometimes with good reason. Perhaps you've initiated something, or perhaps you've had friends who've just really let you down in the past. 
But actually, the only way out of that cycle is to be a bit like Jonathan and just to take the step to initiate. And the second thing that we do, so firstly, how do we make great friends? We initiate. Secondly, we commit. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now, it's quite unusual language. Think, See, that sounds a little bit intense, Tim. And I'm not suggesting that you walk up to people in your halls or at work and say, we should be friends, let's covenant. They'll be like, oh, well, <laughs> let's take a step back. But really, it's, it's a, a, an agreement based on relationship. So it talks about how God would have a covenant with Israel, and that was an agreement. It's kind of set of expectations, but really it was formative of having a relationship and knowing each other and being friends with each other. And so that's what they do, and it's the thing that they did before God, yet we're going to be our friends with each other. We're going to look out for each other. And actually, there is something fascinating here in this story. As when Jonathan dies, which he does really not that long after this event, David refers to him as a brother. They have been joined. They've been tied together like family. Now, if you, your family, you are stuck with your family. Whether you like your family or don't like your family, they remain your family. Uh, And it seems like Jonathan David had that kind of view of their friendship. Okay, we are going to look after each other. There'll be good times, there'll be bad times, but we have agreed And we've agreed before God, it's very unusual. And we don't often see our friends that way. We can just, friends can drop in and out of favour, can't they? Like our friend we were talking about at the beginning of this uh, sermon, she felt like that she was dropped and went out of favour on a number of occasions. But actually, Jonathan and David would go through a lot of difficulty. The main one being, Jonathan's dad, Saul, was trying to kill David. And as a strain on a friendship goes, that would be quite significant, wasn't it? Actually, he was hunting him down. David was fleeing from cave to cave. He was in the wilderness. Uh, Some of the Psalms are written when he is in the wilderness running from Saul. But Jonathan stuck by him. Friends, actually, they commit to each other. Again, after Jonathan's death, David made sure that Jonathan's disabled son was well looked after. And he did that because uh, Jonathan, in his mind, he's my brother. I need to now uh, be respectful and responsible to, to look after his family now that Jonathan is gone. There is a, a deep commitment there. So there was initiation. There was commitment. And they also would elevate. Okay, let's look at what that means. Uh, and it says how Jonathan actually, he took off his robe gave it to David, his armor, he took off his sword, he took his bow, and he took uh, his belt, and he gave that all to David. Now, that is a huge statement of what he just did there. It's a huge moment. If we read slightly earlier on in these stories, uh, we would see that Jonathan and Saul were some of the only people in all of Israel's army that had swords and had armor. Okay, It's what the king and the king's family had, None of the others really had that stuff yet. So Jonathan is taking some of the things that show that he is royal, that he is special, that perhaps even he's due to be the king at some point. He's taken those things and then given them to his new friend, David. He's given David his signs of royalty. Jonathan is taking David and elevating him above himself. He has seen what David's calling is. I think he has a quite clear idea that, okay, this is who David is meant to be. He's seen his very clear bravery, his clear leadership ability, and he's decided, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to promote him above myself. Jonathan is not one of those friends who only talks about themselves. We've all got one of those friends, right? You think, you think when I'm going around to see them, I know this is going to be an evening of that person talking about themselves. If Jonathan had an Instagram account, it wouldn't be selfies. There would be no pictures of himself on that. I have a friend of mine. Actually, I, really, I don't see him very often. We, we'll have a, a lunch every four or five years. We, we don't see much of each other at all. Um, but I know whenever I do that he will ask me lots and lots of questions. Uh, loads of them, in fact. He works really hard in that conversation to draw me out of myself, to find out about me, to find out what's going on, all that we're up to. Uh, and he keeps going at it. It's, he's fantastic at it. He's so good, in fact, that now when I'm going to meet him, I have to prep myself. Okay, Tim, you can't just talk about yourself the whole time, okay? You can't. You have to stop. You have to write, his wife is called this. I have to remember his kids' names. And then I have to make sure that I, too, uh, try and ask questions, try and find out about him. Great friends help you to thrive, don't they? Great friends draw you out of yourself. Great friends help you, actually, to be better to do better, and maybe even they elevate you. Now, it might be easy in this moment to hear this and think, yes, Tim, you are right. I need friends who put me above themselves. That's what I need. I need lots of them, if I can, uh, as many as possible, uh, to have like a group around me who are just elevating me. But actually, it's probably better to think, am I helping my friends to thrive? Am I putting my friends above me? I think it's very possible in this moment that Jonathan has realised that David is going to be king. And Jonathan is the king's son, so he's next in line to the throne. This is a big thing. He is giving up what is rightfully his so that David can be successful. He sees the call of God's on David's life and trusts God for it. Now, a few chapters later... Saul is after David, and David has had to flee. Okay, it's gotten really bad. David is effectively on the run in his own country. And Jonathan manages to get to David and says, you shall be king over all Israel, and I shall be next to you. Um, which was kind of prophetic, but it was only half right. Jonathan would uh, never live that long to see it, but he was correct. David would be king over Israel. The great friends see what God's doing in someone. Don't they? A good friend can see what God's doing in you and then can help you to succeed in that, to live that out to its most. Just for a moment, think about your friends. Just think about some friends and then ask yourself, what's God doing in them at the moment? What's God called them to, do I think? You don't have to tell them you're thinking about it. And then just think, how can I encourage them? How can I elevate them above myself so that they succeed? What can I do to help them drive forward? So great friends initiate, they commit, they elevate, they celebrate as well. It says in verse 5 that we read, David went out, he was successful wherever Saul sent him. And he became in charge of all of the men of war. He was the head of the army. All of the people saw what he was doing and said it was great. All of Saul's servants saw what he was doing. They thought it was great as well. David is doing fantastically well. 
And after this encounter, after this time they first meet and Jonathan and David become friends, actually you read this, David doesn't really say much, does he? Jonathan uh, is the one that makes this all happen. But David goes off and succeeds at whatever he is asked to do. Uh, And it's a a great moment for him. Things are going well. Everyone thinks he's great. And when they return from war, um, it says that the women come out of the houses and they sing songs about the the menfolk that are coming back from the war. Um, And they sing amazing songs about David and how good he is at fighting and killing people, which think, as song singing goes, sounds a bit morbid, but that's what they were doing. Uh, How great he is at fighting. They also sing songs about King Saul, and they're not, quite as, they're not quite as good as the ones they sing about David. So they, they're saying, Saul kills thousands. David kills 10,000. Okay, it doesn't sound like a Coldplay song, but that's what they were doing. I think it might improve a few Coldplay songs, but that's another matter. <laughs> Saul is jealous. He hears this and it, it, it winds him up. He's the king. He, he should be getting the great songs, not David's. So Saul is jealous, but it's an opposite to Jonathan. What it has revealed, actually, in Saul is lots of insecurities, like the fact he is way out of his depth. He doesn't trust God. He is after the adulation and approval of his people. He's not after relationship with God. Again, if Saul was on Instagram, there would be a lot of selfies, desperate for likes, desperate for people to approve him. Actually, celebrating others, like Jonathan does for David is a powerful catalyst for changing ourselves, actually. Now, I'm sure many of you have done this, but I know for myself, uh, at some points, I've found myself observing someone else's success, and my first thought is, why am I not doing as well as that? Why, why am I not doing uh, as well as that person? And I realised, actually, in order to change my heart on these things, I have to be a cheerleader for other people especially when it's clear God is using someone. Even if God is using someone in a way that I would quite like to be used, actually, it's really important to just say, you know what, they're doing brilliantly. I'm going to cheer them on. I remember there's a friend of mine, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for a lot longer than I have, and he's very good at it, so I'm always stealing his ideas. He's also a really good preacher, like a really good preacher. He just knows his Bible. He's been preaching for 40 years consistently, cares deeply about his people. He's just really, really good at it. Whenever he stands up and teaches, I'm learning stuff every time he does it. But when he teaches other leaders, other pastors, which I should say is a weird experience as a pastor, you feel like you're being assessed. Um, But when he does that, he always started his talks with a joke about how rubbish this talk was about to be and how everybody there had probably heard it all anyway. And then he would plow on with the talk, and it was always still really, really good. I always got stuff out of it. And so I said to him at the end, I said, look, you're really good at this. Just don't tell the joke at the beginning. Don't, don't undermine yourself. Just start and trust God. Uh, everybody's finding this helpful. God's really with you when, he does, when you do it. Uh, I explained, look, we love listening to you. It's important. Uh, and I was trying to celebrate him. I was trying to cheerlead for him. I was trying to help him see actually he was good at what he was doing. And the other way of thinking about this is that there is great gospel opportunity, great mission opportunity here in being the person in the room who celebrates other people, that encourages other people. I remember I had a a particular job 
a number of years ago back in Birmingham. And the, the kind of the team environment was quite cynical, actually. The boss uh, was a bit divisive. He would uh, say one thing to one person to play them off against each other. Uh, so it meant it was quite a moany atmosphere. People were a bit down on themselves and each other. Um, and uh, so I would just try and take the opportunity whenever I could. If someone did something good, just to quietly, that was good. You did, that was good. Well done. Um, and every time that you could see the change in that person's uh, kind of face as they were like, oh, right, I did something good. We don't hear that very often. Actually, it's a, a really good opportunity to be uh, a kingdom person where you are, in your lecture, in your workplace, any opportunity just to say to someone, what you did then was good. You should keep doing that. You're good at it. Actually, is a very powerful thing. Our culture, British culture, doesn't tend to be super encouraging as a rule, does it? But If you take that opportunity, you'll find good things come from it. And finally, our final lesson is that great friends strengthen. So we uh, initiate, we commit, we elevate, we celebrate, and we strengthen each other. And often in really difficult moments. David found himself in a difficult situation, didn't he? Like we were saying, he was running for his life. Saul was after him. He was hiding away in caves. And Jonathan effectively sneaked out so his dad couldn't see him and went and found David. So he took some responsibility. Again, we see Jonathan initiating in this friendship. He keeps going with this. He's keen that David knows that they are friends. And Jonathan goes to him and says, look, don't be scared. You will be king. And then they pray together. Now, in this moment, Jonathan actually doesn't do anything. Have you noticed that? I mean, he manages to get to him, but he doesn't do anything. He's very close to Saul, so he could actually kill Saul, couldn't he? He could undermine Saul and uh, maybe um, frustrate his army. He could cause all sorts of problems, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't actually leave. He could leave and say, actually, I'm going to go and join David's army. I think David is the true king of Israel. Dad, I'm off. He doesn't do any of those things. He actually is being very honorable. He is still uh, respecting his dad. But he is able to spend some time. He is able to encourage and he is able to pray. I remember a time actually uh, a very difficult moment. That's quite early in the life of uh, planting this church in Fallowfields. And it was one of those times where everything I tried, not that it failed, but it didn't work. Like almost everything. Like even in pastoral conversations, anything I said seemed to annoy people. Anything that we would initiate didn't really quite seem to work. It was one of those times. Nothing particularly disastrous, but it just felt like, oh, this is not going particularly well. So I sat with my friends And he didn't really put his arm around me. He didn't say, there, there, you'll be fine. Because actually, I was doing any number of things wrong. He just sat with me. We talked, we prayed, and we slowly built a plan. And it was very, very helpful. He didn't try and solve any of my problems. He could have waded in on any number of things that I was doing wrong and done them better and fixed them. He didn't do any of that. He just sat with me and helped me to take steps forwards. We have a great opportunity, actually, to... Go to our friends to encourage, to strengthen, to pray with them, to run alongside them. See, my friend Andy Armstrong, he's one of the elders in Gorton, and he'd been at me for running for years. I mean, he's a keen runner, and he's 
much older than me and much quicker than me and like really very lightning quick and he was keen for me to get running and I think he was a bit actually a bit worried about me Tim you need to exercise we need to get you out running and uh, eventually convinced me to go with him and he's so quick I was like oh man Andy I'm just going to slow you down this is going to be rubbish experience for you and he went oh Tim this is social for me it's just good fun so he ran at my pace which for him must have been really boring he ran at my pace and he just helped me to go a bit further and then he did some different styles of training with me to help me improve and actually he strengthened me it sounds uh, really very practical, but that's what he did. He Just by being uh, my friend, by ben- spending time with me, he strengthened me. So just to finish, a friendship is costly, actually. And perhaps we don't think about friends in those terms, but actually it is costly. Think about Jonathan. His friendship with David was all cost. It did him no favours at all, actually. It lost him, actually, what he was going to do with his life. He was most likely to be the next king, but he lost that. He, in fact, he gave it away. It cost him that. He gave up his own position so that David could thrive. He gave up his own position so God's plan could be worked out. And Jonathan p- played an important part in that, but it was still very sacrificial for him. And in this moment, we get with Jonathan a little snapshot of Jesus. Jesus was sacrificed so that we could live. He died so actually God's plan could be worked out in, the, uh, in us. We are meant to live that out with our friends, actually. There is a, a picture of how Jesus behaves when we are uh, sacrificial to our friends, when we uh, sacrifice so that they can win, so that we can put them above ourselves. I really want to pray for you. I think um, having friends is one of those things we don't talk about very, very often, but actually is super important. I think when you're friends with, the, with people at university, uh, in your workplace, uh, whatever opportunities you find yourselves in, actually good friends who look to be kind and look to lift other people up, actually it's quite a rare thing. It's a, a really important opportunity to take. So let's pray. Let's stand if the bands want to come back. I just felt as I was prepping this that there would be people here who have been disappointed by their friends. Uh, and it's quite easy to um, feel like that they owe you, or in somehow you are owed. Uh, and how you have been treated, you take that, that sense to the, your next set of friendships. Uh, and I just felt like God wanted to break that cycle in a few people uh, and help you to to have that faith and bravery to initiate uh, and to, it's quite harsh language, I don't mean it so harshly, but to kind of take a bit of responsibility for uh, what you can do yourself. So Lord God, I, I lift these good people up to you. Lord Jesus, our friendships are so important, Lord God. They're such a great opportunity to uh, behave like you and to be prompted by your Holy Spirit, to love and to serve our friends, to lift them up, Lord God's. I pray that you would uh, move in our hearts to make us soft-hearted so that we can initiate friendships, so that we can uh, love people, so that we can bring people in, Lord God. Yes, Father, amen.